the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And what Paul is saying is the commandment then, it killed me. I thought I was doing well. I thought I was alive. I thought I was keeping the word. I thought I was obeying. I thought I'd get to heaven by keeping the law. But I realized the commandment, it killed me. Because it revealed I was a sinner and it also brought out things in my heart that I didn't even know were there. The Apostle Paul used God's law against converting as an example of just how impossible it is to earn eternal life. He thought he was doing well until he took an objective look at himself through the lens of the law. We can do the same. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with wholehearted devotion and to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. Has there ever been a time when I fell short of that mark? (laughs) You'd better believe it. And so has everyone who ever lived. The law reveals our sin, and as we will see today on Verse by Verse, that is a good thing. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is guiding us through the third chapter of the book of Philippians. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily Bible classes are an extension of his ministry. In his early years, Paul thought that his zeal and his outward conformity to the Jewish law would gain him entrance to heaven. Let's begin our class now and explore the reasons why Paul abandoned his self-confidence and put his trust instead in the grace of God. Here is Pastor Steve. Zeal in the Jewish mind was a very high virtue. Remember Romans chapter 11 or or 10, Paul writes concerning Israel, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have great zeal. In fact, they were called the God-intoxicated people. And I think Paul was the most intoxicated. He was a fanatic. He killed people for Judaism. And notice, now let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Notice what he says in verse 13 and 14. Tremendous insight into who he was. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul was a who's who in Judaism. Paul was the up-and-coming religious leader. Paul was a zealous person. And notice he, con- he concludes verse 6 by saying this, back in Philippians 3, as to the righteousness which is in the law, he said, I was found blameless. Now, does that mean that Paul perfectly obeyed the law? No, no, it just means this. When men looked at his life, they found it to be in harmony with the law. His outward uh, conduct was above reproach. He didn't obey the law perfectly, but it means that when people looked at him, they said, now here is a law-abiding person. Inwardly, he was sinful. Inwardly, he was corrupt. But from his perspective, all it took was to obey outwardly. Outwardly, no one could find any faults with him. So he was found blameless. Every ceremony 
Paul obeyed. Every tradition, Paul obeyed. Every religious practice, Paul obeyed. He was blameless. From Paul's credentials, everyone had to be impressed. He would be the kind of person to walk down the streets of Jerusalem, uh, put his head high and say, I am better than others, and no one could have argued with him. He was the best. He was religiously above men, and no one would have dared to challenge that. Now, today in our culture, what would we say Paul is saying? Well, let's look at, at three different groups. Today in our culture, what a Catholic person would say is this, I'm a good Catholic. I go to Mass every week. My parents and grandparents were Catholics. We, we go to confession all the time. I do the rosary. Um, in fact, I'm a member of the priesthood. Not just any priesthood, the Jesuit priesthood. I'm a good Catholic. Protestants would say this. We're good Protestants. Our family has been Protestants for years. I tithe. I've been baptized. Uh, not only am I a member of the church, I am a charter member of the church. Not only that, I am a relative of Wesley. I'm a relative of Calvin. You just can't get any better than that. I'm related to them. I'm a good Protestant. Or how about a modern humanist who would say, you know, I'm, I'm good. I try to do the best I can. If there is a God, and I'm not sure there is, but if there is, then I've got to go to heaven because my good certainly outweighs my bad. See, that's from Paul's standpoint, that's what he's saying. In Paul's own background and in his culture, that is, in essence, what he is saying. I am good. But then something happens to Paul. So not only does he attack the legalist by his credentials, now he's going to attack them by his conversion. Look at verse 7, will you? But whatever things were gained to me, and what things were gained to him? All the things he's just said. He's just said. Religiously, they were gained to him. They made him look good. Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. On the road to Damascus to persecute Christians in that city, Paul had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He stopped trusting in himself, and he immediately placed his trust in Jesus Christ, and he saw his religious achievements for what they were. He will say in verse 8, which we'll look at, Lord willing, next week, that they are rubbish or dung. They are like manure, is what he is saying. He saw his religious achievements as Isaiah did when he said, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Paul saw himself for what he really was, a self-righteous, deluded, condemned sinner. He understood that it was only by faith in Christ that he could go to heaven. And now his credentials took on a very different meaning for him. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I want to tell you what the key word in verse 7 is, and I want to illustrate it. The key word in verse 7 is loss. And I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 27 for an illustration of this, because in Acts chapter 27, Luke uses this very same word, and it, it, it helps us in understanding what Paul is really getting at. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on his way to Rome. He's had to change ships. He's going through the Mediterranean, and, and uh, I believe it's the Aegean Sea and so forth. And, and so in, in Acts chapter 27... He's a prisoner on a ship bound for Rome. The ship stops in a port to take on cargo. And that was very important. This cargo is valuable. It would pay for the ship. It would also pay for the wages of the men on board the ship, the sailors. He take, they take on cargo. That's very important. Keep that in mind. However, a storm comes up. 
And if you know anything about the book of Acts, you know that Acts chapter 27 is about this incredible storm. But a storm comes up, and the ship begins to take on water. And they flounder in the water, and they realize they're not going to make it unless they take this very valuable cargo and they dump it overboard. And that's what happens. Verse 10, and, and he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage. And watch this. Here's the word, great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. The word loss is the same word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 3. Now, keep in mind, what he is saying is this. Unless you dump this cargo overboard, you're going to have some real problems. Now, what was once valuable to them is harmful to them. Once the cargo is very important, it was very valuable, and it would pay for, for the men. But now, if they keep that cargo, they are going to be in serious trouble. And so, they need to, to dump it overboard. What was once valuable to them is harmful to them if they don't get it off the ship. Now, that's what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The things that were once valuable, once gains to me, I now count them as harmful to me. I throw them overboard, and I take the loss. I take the loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says they once were valuable, now they, they are nothing to me. In fact, now they're like rubbish. If I don't get rid of them, I'm in trouble. Do you realize what he's saying? He is saying that religious accomplishments are very harmful to a person. Why? Let me give you two reasons why religious accomplishments and your religious achievements are very dangerous. Number one is it gives a sense of false security. It gives a sense of false security that if you just do good enough, if you just do enough good things, then you'll be good enough to go to heaven. Paul said, I had to get rid of that. I had to come to a place where I had to dump them overboard because they, would, they, they gave me a false sense of security. I thought everything was right with me. Secondly, and it's related to the first reason, your religious achievements keep you from Jesus Christ. As long as you see yourself as good, you'll never see yourself as a desperate sinner. Never. As long as you think that you're good, you will never see yourself in need of Christ. That's why the legalists are so hard to reach. That's why people who have been elders and deacons and people who come out of especially uh, churches where they have uh, been into social things, they don't see their need for Christ because they think everything is fine. They've done enough good things. That's why the hardest people to reach with the gospel are those who are good, outstanding, upright, moral people. Their religious activities blind them to seeing their own wicked hearts. You see, it breeds a sort of a self-righteousness, a complacency. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and he said, good master, he said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, have you kept the commandments? Now, why did Jesus say that? Was he saying because you could get to heaven by keeping the commandments? No, he was trying to show this man that he has not kept the commandments. And you know what this man said? Yes, I've done it all. Same thing like Paul, a little Paul. I've done it all. Now, Jesus didn't say to him, you are a liar. You, didn't do, you haven't kept it all. But what he did say, he put his finger on the real problem and he said, well, since you're so wealthy, sell all that you have, give to the poor and follow me. You know what the man did? He went away very sad because he was wealthy. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus knew that his heart was covetous. 
But he wanted the man to see that his heart was covetous. This man who said that he was right with God and everything, he had done everything, and Jesus was saying, internally, you have wickedness in your heart. Let me reveal it to you. And the man went away very sad. It's this type of thing that Paul's talking about. Remember the Pharisee who went up to pray with the publican? He said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. I tithe, I go to synagogue, I go to temple, I do all these things. And, and yet Jesus said, the man who was broken, the, the publican who was broken and said, God, forgive me, I'm a wicked sinner. Jesus said, that man is saved. This man's not. You know what I have to ask myself when I, when I read this? How could a, a, such a sincere man like the Apostle Paul be so wrong? Have you ever thought about that? I've struggled with that on occasion. My grandparents were Orthodox Jewish people. They were so Orthodox and they kept the law so so strict in their observance that when it was time for my bar mitzvah, which is when a young Jewish boy becomes 13 years old, he becomes responsible to God, they believe, and, and he becomes a son of the commandments. That's what bar mitzvah means. And uh, normally, all of my friends had their bar mitzvah on Saturday. Not me. No, because my grandparents said, Saturday is the Sabbath. We can't, we can't ride in a car on Saturday. So we, that would be work. So we can't do that. So we had to have it on Monday. Only kid in the world who had bar mitzvah on Monday. At least the only kid that I know who had his bar mitzvah on, on Monday. But anyway, my, uh, my grandparents were very strict. They would not even have, uh, start uh, the fire in, um, in the fireplace on the Sabbath, they would hire a Gentile to do it. That's right. That's right. Sincere, couldn't find any more sincere people. Paul, sincere, how could someone so sincere be so wrong? Let me explain. You see, they only compared themselves with other people. They used the wrong measurements. They only compared themselves with other people, and you know what? They came out looking good. You compare yourself with other people and you do all these external things and you look good and you hire others to start the fire and you do all this kind of stuff. You're going to come out looking good because you've compared yourself with other people. However, God says that's the wrong measuring stick. God looks on the inside and he sees us for what we really are. He looks at attitudes, not only actions, but attitudes and desires. And he reveals to us that we're sinful. That's where the sin really shows up. Let's look at Romans chapter 7. You should have seen Paul came to that place and what was really going on in his heart when Paul came to realize that he was wicked. And I don't know at what stage this exactly took place, but uh, there was a point in Paul's life where he understood what his heart really was like. In Romans chapter 7, Starting at verse 7, great passage, Paul deals with the law and being free from it and so forth, but he, he just sort of gives us insight into his own life. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. How dare anybody say the law is sin? No, it's not. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. If you want to know the, one of the purposes of the law, one purpose is it's to reveal sin. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandments, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. 
for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, it killed me. What he's saying is this. Not only did, did the law reveal that I was covetous, that I wanted things that didn't belong to me, that I, I lusted after those things. What he's saying is not only did the law reveal that, but when I read thou shalt not covet, my wicked heart said I will covet. It aroused those things in him. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law just revealed that he was sinful. But when he heard, don't do this, he was like a little kid whose parents say, don't pick that crayon up. And he says, I want to pick it up. I want to pick up all the crayons. And what Paul is saying is the commandment then, it killed me. I thought I was doing well. I thought I was alive. I thought I was keeping the word. I thought I was obeying. I thought I'd get to heaven by keeping the law. But I realized the commandment, it killed me. Because it revealed I was a sinner and it also brought out things in my heart that I didn't even know were there. So you see, when you look at other people on the outside, we might look good. But God looks on the inside and God sees the wickedness and God sees the, the desires and God sees what, what Jesus said. What he said, if you hate in your heart, it's like you've murdered. If you lust in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery. God looks on the heart. Your good works can be harmful if they keep you from Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians 3. Now, I want to tell you, because some may have a question. They had a question last time I dealt with this. Should we just throw all of our good works overboard? Should we, should we not uh, try to live a good life? Well, dump them overboard if they keep you from Christ. If you're depending on your good works to get to heaven, dump them overboard. Start over again. But now, start over with the right motives. The Bible never teaches that we should abandon good works. It just tells us that our motivation ought to be love and gratitude towards Christ. That was always the intent of the law of God. Love God with all of your heart is the message of Deuteronomy. The law was given to people who should have loved God with all of their heart. Works are not bad when they're in their proper place. Works become the evidence that we love the Lord. But if you take your works to try to gain God's approval, then you are in serious trouble. It's just like I, I compare it this way. Before Michelle and I were married, I try to do everything to gain her approval. I try, to, I try to be the nicest person in the world. I worked at it. And I try to win her love, and I try to win and gain her approval. Once we're married, do I say, well, that's it. Now you're stuck with me. I don't do anything good for you now. No. Now, I still want to do good things for her, but the motivation is different. Now I do it because I am secure in my love. Now I do it out of gratitude, out of appreciation. You see, it's a whole different motivation. Before, I was trying to gain her love, gain her approval. Once I've got it, the good works ought to continue, but now for a different reason. That's the way it is with Christ. You, you, you don't gain his approval by your good works, but they ought to, once you know him, they flow out of your life. In fact, if they don't flow out of your life somewhere at some time, then you have to question whether you really know him. But if you're using your religious or moral or hereditary achievements as the things to make you acceptable before God, then you are in serious trouble. Why? Because the most zealous, godly, religious, law-abiding man couldn't make it. Paul. And if he can't, you can't either. That's the message of the Philippians. Don't even flirt with legalism. Don't even think about it. Don't even listen to somebody who, who says that you have to, well, now you've trusted Christ, but you've got to be baptized. 
Don't even listen to that. Because the greatest man, it failed. The system failed him because he was a failure and needed Christ. So what are we saying? We're saying two things. Number one, you need to see religion for what it really is. Man-made rules, and it's basically the pride of the flesh. That's what religion is. The pride of the flesh to look good before people needs to lead you to salvation. Dump it, throw it overboard. Throw your religious activities overboard and come to Christ. And secondly, we who have seen this already need to maintain that joy. Stay in sound doctrine. Don't deviate from this gospel because you will never be happy, never be joyful. Don't give any consideration to those who tell you that you need something else, that you need anything in addition to Christ. You are secure in him. So as we sung before, just rest in him. Let's bow for prayer. If you've never trusted Christ and you thought that you could get to heaven by being good, this is the time to put your confidence in Jesus Christ. This is the time to, to abandon and throw overboard your religious works. Would you do that? My grandparents, to my knowledge, never did this. Never did this. There are many people who have never done this. There is a way, Proverbs says, which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Would you throw them overboard and stop trusting yourself, your kindness, your relationship to other Christians, your church affiliation? Trust Christ. If you think that the Christian life is trying to keep up your salvation, throw it overboard. Have a higher motive for godliness than that. Throw it overboard. Take a loss, those things that were gains to you. Trust Christ now. Call upon him as your only Savior. And if you do know the Lord, then you need to, to rejoice in him. Don't even think about any other gospel. Salvation is by grace alone through faith. Father, I pray that you'll seal these words to our hearts. Help us to be firm in what we believe, Lord. There are so many, Father, who think that they have to go to Bible school or seminary to learn theology, and yet week by week we cover these things. And I pray that they'll, they'll begin to incorporate this in their lives, that they'll understand how to answer people who, um, who say that, that grace alone is not enough. Pray, Father, that you will strengthen us, and I pray that, that you will draw to yourself those who are curiosity seekers, those who perhaps have come here today thinking that it's nice to be religious, it's good, it's, Father, it's a very dangerous thing, and I pray that you'll help them to, like the Apostle Paul, to come to that place where they throw it overboard, where they forsake their religious activities for Christ. They just see it as rubbish, and they see that Jesus Christ is the one they need because he has paid for their sins and they couldn't get to heaven any other way because they're sinners. So draw them to yourself, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Karl Marx was not exactly a trustworthy teacher of theology, but he certainly had one thing right when he said, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, just as it is the spirit of a spiritless situation. Religion masks the pain of our spiritual disease. Only a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver us from the spiritual fog of religion and cure us from our sin. 
You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been serving as the teaching pastor at Lakeside, and now his ministry has expanded to include these daily broadcasts. They come to you through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's class again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download today's class or any of the previous classes found on the archives page, or you might just want to listen online. We also offer a free podcasting service. Once again, the web address is versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. The entire message is available on either CD or cassette. Order yours by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. If you think that Marx, Lenin, and the various humanist philosophers and psychologists had low opinions of religion, they are mild when compared to Paul's assessment of his own religious deeds. On the next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will continue our study of Philippians chapter 3 and we will begin to see some of the wonderful gains available to us if we trust in Christ alone for our salvation. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.